Welcome to Opus Private Clients Wealth Style Podcast. All of the material discussed on our podcasts have specific themes, and that's to move your wealth and lifestyle forward, increase your purpose, and provide you with clarity and confidence. Opus's mantra is always forward. We have found that regardless of one's wealth, moving your lifestyle forward is the number one priority for our clients. On our podcast, we'll share our rich 35 years of experience in designing strategies, share clients' experiences, and introduce resources that have positively impacted our clients. We trust that you will enjoy our direct, transparent, and realistic approach to positively impacting the quality of you and your family's lives. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to another Opus Wealth Style podcast. My name is Yvonne Watanabe. I'm going to be your host today. Um, and joining me today is a friend and former uh, high school classmate of mine and rock star, Danny Isay. What's going on, Danny? How are you doing? Hi, Yvonne. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to have you on today for, for a whole number of different reasons. But really what I wanted to talk about today is a couple of things. One is sort of the upcoming documentary that you're releasing, Danny's Twins. I'm super excited to see it and really make sure that we're getting in promoting the word about the documentary, um, but also to sort of educate and inform the listening audience about um, disability, about the disability community, the disabled, non-disabled communities, and sort of some of the misconceptions that might be out there, really just making sure that people are aware and feel comfortable about how to kind of navigate you know, that, that dialogue. So again, I'm really excited to have you on. And you know, why don't we just kind of start, tell us a little bit about yourself, tell us about your family. You know, um, why don't we kick it off that way? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, I'm here for it. You know, I, disability is a topic that I don't shy away from. Obviously, I have lived experience with it. I, I used to not have a disability, so I, I acquired an injury at age 23. Um, and I like to tell people that I have both sort of double life experiences, right? Mm. I have the experience of living in an able body and going through a world that is set up for me to access versus living with a disability and encountering, frankly, quite a few obstacles and barriers, but still able to live well through much perseverance, to be honest. So I um, recently, two years ago, had twins. It is fairly rare for a quadriplegic, that's my diagnosis, um, to have twins. So we actually created a documentary about it together with a friend of mine, Brad Allgood, who's an award-winning documentary filmmaker. And the reason I did this was to just kind of change perspectives, um, show the world what people with disabilities are capable of, show the world that we have ordinary lives just like everybody else, you know, and yeah, that's it's sort of my passion project. And I also have a full-time job. So yeah, I'm, I'm juggling a lot, but I'm loving it. Yeah, most definitely. I, you know, I, I saw the, the post. Um, so just for the audience, Danny and I went to uh, high school together. 
and I saw your post about the documentary and it just, you know, I got to see a quick video clip of it and I knew immediately I had to have you on for a couple onto the podcast for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, I'm super interested on the topic. I think it's, um, I think it's just amazing sort of the, the journey that you've had so far, but really the other thing that was was very obvious to me is that I'm probably like many people, part of the non-disabled community that have no idea what the disabled community is facing. And part of the reason why I have no idea what you're facing is because I, I sort of shy away from the conversation because I don't know how to interact uh, in a way that I think is appropriate or you know I'm nervous about using the wrong terminology because I think as I listen to you just describe your diagnosis, you're very deliberate with the words that you use mm-hmm. around sort of the dis- you know, your disability. And I think many of the non-disabled community don't know how to sort of sure. interact, right? So I think part of our conversation today, which would be really helpful, is to just share a little bit about how we can communicate appropriately, what are some of the challenges that you face that we're not even aware of so that we can be more aware on our end? Yeah. First of all, I mean, the fact that you are doing this podcast is huge. And the fact that you can admit that not all of us are are aware of how to interact with people with disabilities is such an important step to make. And it's really important to recognize that that's sort of an area that people are unfamiliar with. And I'm happy to answer questions and give information. I really like to approach disability as neutrally as possible to begin Mm -hmm. with, you know? And I think that's actually a great way to approach anybody that has a disability. Approach the person as a normal person. Approach the disability as kind of just a neutral aspect of their lives allow them to tell their story, allow them to tell you how they'd like to be referred to, allow Mm. them to guide you, you know? So uh, obviously I think there's context and nuance are important as well. Um, But I think starting with a neutral approach is, is really important. And yes, I'm selective with the terminology I use because I'm trying to create sort of a neutral baseline, Yeah. right? Um, we, we put so much, we load disability with so much. We load it with things that make us feel emotional, fear, inspiration, trauma, pain, right? Like all these really intense, um, uh, feelings that, that are, are frankly difficult to, to deal with. Um, so I, I think people get kind of, um, nervous around that. But like I said, just facing it neutrally without, you know, any preconceived notions, putting the fears aside and the emotions aside is the best way to start. Yeah. Again, I appreciate you sort of allowing us to have this space to to speak about it because, you know, without, you know, your generosity and sort of being able to accept, you know, us being vulnerable in the conversation here. Um, this dialogue doesn't happen, right? So um, tell me a little bit about you know, how the disabled community likes to be referred. What kind of terminology should we use? Should we not use? Um, what are some of the, you know, again, you, you're saying sort of keep it neutral. What does that really mean? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think 
Um, most entities, most organization, the federal government itself uses the term um, people with dis disabilities. Um, and that's referred to as person first language. The mm -hmm. idea is that you put the person before the disability. So you'd say person who uses a wheelchair, you know, person with Down syndrome, et cetera. But there's also a group emerging now of people with disabilities or disabled people who prefer what's called identity first language, mm. which is where they claim the disability as part of their identity, as something that they can't be separated from. It is something they wear as uh, a badge of pride. Um, it is in, in doing so, they are saying, no, this, it's, it's, it's a given that I'm a person. It's a given that I'm a human, but my disability is a part of who I am. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of reclaiming power. So saying disabled person is um, a really powerful statement to make from a person with a disability. It usually says that they, they've accepted um, themselves, that they embrace the disability community and things like that. So I, I tell people that it's fine to use those two terms interchangeably, people with disabilities or disabled people. Mm -hmm. But you also want to ask the person that you're speaking with what their preference is. And just to be kind of um, sort of blatant about it or, or direct about it, what's the best way to ask that question? Um, I, I would say, how would you like me to refer to your disability? Okay. You know, and again, I, I, I asked the question because it is, at least from, from my standpoint, a, a sensitive topic before we can yeah. kind of level. It's almost like that, that has to happen before we can level set and mm -hmm. know how to address somebody the way they want to be addressed. Right. So, okay. So that, that's, that makes a lot of sense. And, and you know, we've, we've talked to, you and I have, have spoken about this before we we've had this conversation. And I think one of the major aspects of disability is sort of the, the social construct around it, right? Not just, you know, the focus on sort of the, how sensationalized it might be, or the story, or, you know, the, the, medical, know, the, the medical aspect of it, but really what I find to be relatively interesting for me personally, super interesting is more of the, the day to day, right. Yes. The more, what may be considered mundane to sort of the, the movies, but really the practical aspect of living with disability. I'm, I'm curious if you could just kind of guide us through that a little bit. Yeah, sure. Um, I I'm so glad that you mentioned it because, um, in disability scholarship, I, I did study disability studies a little bit in grad school uh, as well as um, English, but there, there's a social model and there's a medical model of disability. The medical model says that disability is defined by the diagnosis. The social model says that the disability is defined by the social barriers and the attitudinal barriers, the environmental barriers, the, the, the access barriers that are created by a society that is not inclusive, right? Um, so that's really interesting. It's, it's really interesting to think of it that way. And, you know, when we watch television and films, we, say, we see the sensational stories, the drama, the tragedy. We see 
the, para- the, the person that becomes paralyzed like I did and then maybe miraculously walks again or, or whatever, whatever the inspirational storyline is um, mm-hmm. or tragic storyline. But we don't, but it doesn't give us any insight. These narratives don't give us any insight into the real everyday lived experience of people with disabilities. And it is so important to understand that in order to for for this community to achieve equity and not this not just this community because disability is a universal experience everybody mm-hmm. at some one point or another is going to be touched by or experience personally disability whether it's temporary or permanent or through old age right so you know this this does apply to everyone it's not just you know a curiosity right Absolutely. And, and so, you know, just kind of give, give the audience some insight as to some of the more practical challenges, if, if you can elaborate on, you know, after the accident took place, you know, mm-hmm. what, what from, a, again, from just a very practical standpoint, like what was life like? And, you know, what were some of the challenges that you never even thought of or what became present to you as you, you kind of went through that either immediately after, but, or, or, or the sort of time following. Sure. So I, I slipped and fell in a bathroom. It was a complete uh, freak accident and it broke my neck and the, the, the damage was on my spinal cord and that's what caused the paralysis. So as a quadriplegic, I have paralysis in my legs and to a certain extent in my arms and hands as well. Um, I push a manual wheelchair. Um, occasionally, I use a power wheelchair. Day to day, I I do have a lot of physical challenges. I struggle with a lot of things. So um, I don't I don't want to say that that's not a huge challenge. It certainly is, especially at the beginning when my whole life was was thrown was turned inside out. I had to rebuild everything. But on top of that, the physical challenges was the the social challenges, the financial challenges. So first of all, I was hit with wild medical bills. Thank goodness, a month before I was injured in 2009, I got myself insurance when I was 23 years old. And um, luckily that covered the exorbitant costs of uh, sustaining spinal cord injury. I think after about two years of living with spinal cord injury, my bills with everything, you know, insurance covered most of it, but it was about $500,000. Wow. Um, now, and, and the ongoing costs of living with a disability uh, as severe as mine are massive. Um, if you want to have a good quality of life, you know, a, a specialized custom wheelchair costs depending on what type, anywhere from 10 to 30 grand, if you want a good one, that's going to keep you in healthy shape, you know, and then there's a million other things um, that that are needed, adaptive vehicles and and specialized equipment, things like this, that just that cost a fortune. Oftentimes they're not covered by insurance. Um, So, so navigating this system um, is extremely difficult. I, I did have to do 
some fundraising. Uh, luckily, I was able to get some support to be able to afford special exercise equipment to rehabilitate my body and to get therapy. It took me about three years before I was able to be somewhat independent. As in, and when I say that, I mean able to use the restroom on my own, um, able to get dressed, uh, able to do you know, basic things. It, it was like being in boot camp for three years, relearning everything. And honestly, I still need help. I need a caregiver daily to, to help me um, with things as simple as putting on my shoes because I can't yeah. reach my feet, which my husband kindly does for me now, which is great. You know, initially I, I relied on caregivers. So caregiving itself the cost of caregiving is astronomical, right? If you are a high-level quadriplegic with absolutely no uh, movement from the neck down, you're going to need 24-hour care. That costs, I, I, I don't even know how much that costs. I mean, probably over 50 grand a year. And not everybody has those resources, especially if they're unable to work due to a disability. So a lot of people will go on social security disability insurance or is it income? I'm not sure. And then as another uh, benefit called SSDI so or SSI, SSI and SSDI. And these are, are benefits that you can receive and, and eligibility bait obviously is based on if you have a disability and the amount of money re you receive depends on um, how many, your work history how many years you're working and, and contributing to taxes, more or less. At 23 years old and not a, uh, an extensive job history at that point, I didn't qualify for very much at all. But I took the benefits I could get. The max was $740 a month. <laughs> and I had to survive off of that. Um, which is just, which is just and, wild, um, right? And then, right. Now, Access to that benefit allowed me to be eligible for a state program um, where I received in-home care. Now, here's the problem. So the state was paying for my care. I think at the time I was getting, I needed six or seven hours a day. Here's the problem. If you want to go, if you're in this situation and you want to transition back to work and become an employed again, you have to, you are in an impossible position. You can't work without a caregiver, but you're only eligible for a caregiver if you stay on the benefits, but you lose the benefits if you go back to work. Mm. Okay. So, so you're so sitting there saying, if I want to, and, and, you know, a lot of people, enjoy or, or find, you know, satisfaction in being able to work. Right. So there's a purpose yeah. to the day. So I'm, I'm finding my purpose. I'm going to, you know, earn an income to be part of society and to get my life sort of back on track. But uh, you have to make the distinction or the choice between that or the care that you need. That was the decision. Um, yeah, basically. I mean, between that or being trapped in poverty. Right. Um, right. Now I, I, I was, privileged in that I did have some support from my family um, who, who were assisting 
with my my rent, school, and some other things, but not everybody has that. And um, the people that don't have that end up in uh, group homes, nursing homes, they end up institutionalized, which uh, costs the government much more than living independently in the community, frankly. So it, it's, it's a broken system. It doesn't make very much sense. And I learned a lot through this experience of surviving on pennies, right? On pennies in, in, in a situation that was already remarkably difficult. And I don't think my, my friends, like my friends that I had made before my injury, my friends from high school or my friends from college, I don't think they had any clue of the, the depth of the struggle that I was dealing with. Yeah. So I, I, I managed to crawl out of that situation with a lot of support, including financial support, luckily, uh, which not everybody has. And also through conditioning my body to be able to, to become more and more independent and also unfortunately, having to learn how to live with less help, which is hard. It's hard on my body. It's hard on me day to day to to not uh, afford the care that I I need and deserve. So I, I get my, you know, right now, I do not have a caregiver hired, partly because I live in a rural area. And it's just hard to find people to hire Mm. and partly because I can do a lot of things on my own now, but uh, my bare minimum needs are getting met even right now. Like, you know, I, I get dressed and I I got all that covered and then I work and I take care of my kids. I make their dinner, but if I want to do anything extra, I, it's pretty difficult. So it's very important for me to have a career, not just to be passionate about, about, but be, for basic survival. Mm. I, I need a career to, to continue to survive, to be around as long as possible for my kids. And, you know, I'm trying to advance my career and I'm pretty motivated. I obviously have <laughs> a reason. Um, and actually I could just got a raise today. So congratulations. That's all. That's awesome. Yeah. And so, Danny, you and I have, we've talked, or you, the last time we spoke, you brought up this idea of sort of disability being a social construct again. And, um, you know, what are the different things that sort of popped up for you that, you know, the non-disabled community wouldn't even think of on a day-to-day basis? Things have been set up in a way to help or to be more convenient for us, but not necessarily for the disabled community. Let's take something as seemingly simple and mundane as a doorway in a bathroom to a bathroom that's too narrow, right? Um, nobody notices that people who are walking is not something that they would notice. Mm-hmm. Someone in a wheelchair um, can't get through that door. Now, if that door, let's say, is in a workplace environment, and this person cannot use the restroom. I mean, that means they can't even work. Like you can't go to the work to work if you can't use the restroom. Sorry to be, you know, this is uh, too intimate, but 
you know, there are basic needs, right? For um, sure. Now, luckily, we have civil rights. The ADA is a civil rights law, a federal law that enforces um, accessibility in public places. Um, but there's still a long way to go. There, there are still businesses and companies that um, make shortcuts or um, have facilities that are older and the law is more of a gray area for older buildings and things like that. So um, there are still environmental barriers. There are other types of barriers as well that still exist. So I, you know, it's, it's things like that, these small mundane things that nobody else thinks about that will actually stop me from being able to participate in society. Right. Yeah. I think you brought up, you know, some like, for example, if you looked at a basic city hall or something, you know, there are stairs to lead leading to the entrance. Right. But those Mm -hmm. stairs were man-made. That idea was sort of created from society, right? That wasn't, there's no need for stairs to go up to a doorway. It's just convenience for us. Right. And I think you and I had kind of, you had brought that up previously and it just like a light bulb went off. I didn't even think of that. Right. I just, of course there are stairs, right. You know, of (laughs) of course. Well, yeah, I think we take for granted that, that we think stairs are sort of like a natural phenomenon. No, they're not. Like we, we just decided to build it that way because we have legs, but um, you know, if we had wings and we were flying, we would have a different environment here. Um, but there is um, an area of all architecture and, and design called universal design where um, architects can design spaces, not just for people with disabilities, but for everyone, mm. um, mothers with strollers, uh, elderly with um, walk assistive devices, um, people carrying luggage or suitcase or, and I'm speaking of like mobility, there's other types of needs that spaces can accommodate as well. But, but I love it when I see spaces where, where they take, take that into consideration to, right. to make a space as, it, as accessible to as many people as possible. And you brought up ADA as a civil rights sort of concept. Like I I didn't even think of it, right. You know, when I think of ADA, I immediately think of it being a health issue, right. I think of disability. I think of the health aspect of it because that's just the way we've been trained, but really this idea of it being sort of, you know, a civil rights issue, an equity Mm -hmm. issue is not something that I think the non-disabled community is used to thinking about. It is absolutely at a civil rights law that was signed into law by, um, Bush Sr. in the early 90s, um, and it was fought for by um, disabled people. Um, there are historical figures that are that we don't even recognize in our history books, people in wheelchairs, blind people who, 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 who got this law, who helped to get this law enacted. Um, there were sit-ins. There was a crawl up the Capitol steps. There were protests, you know, and we don't learn about this in, in, in our history books. Right. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure why. I really don't know. I think that's part of the reason why I wanted to have this conversation is because, it, it, you know, just watching the video clip of the documentary, and I want you to get more into that. It was just so evident to me that I have very little insight into this community, right? I mean, I have conversations with clients all the time about protecting against a disability without really understanding yeah. 
sort of the true impact of the day to day. I understand the financial ramifications, but you know, all of the other aspects to that beyond just the health is is something that I'm I I was and and I'm learning a little bit more about, but completely unaware of. Mm-hmm. Why don't we tell so so you know again this all kind of started because I saw the clip of the the documentary the documentary Danny's twins. Tell the audience a little bit about the the documentary, what inspired it, obviously, you know, your your girls, but but tell me a little bit about that and um, you know, share share how it started. Yeah, sure. So um a a friend of mine, like I said, Brad Allgood, who is an award-winning documentary filmmaker, he directed a documentary film, or I think he was a director or editor on um, Landfill Harmonica. Great film. Look it up. Doesn't have anything to do with disability, but it's it it does have he he chooses films that will have social impact. Anyway, he saw on social media that I was pregnant with twins. And I think at the time I was in my second trimester. So well on my way. And honestly, I think he saw the, the sensational component behind it first, mm-hmm. the inspirational component, which is wonderful. It's a great story. Like I, I did overcome many odds and, and got to a place where I was able to create a family for myself and to have twins as a quadriplegic. I mean, that's like the ultimate clickbait headline it's, right there. <laughs> <laughs> it is just uh, wild. I mean, yeah. just yeah. wonderfully but so wild. I decided, I was like, well, I can use this sensationalism to my advantage. And mm. why don't I take that and turn it around and work with Brad to give people a real glimpse, an authentic glimpse into my life. And I do this for my own benefit, to improve my life, to improve the attitudes around me. Mm-hmm. I do this for my community and other women in the community who face um, some serious attitudinal barriers um, when it comes to wanting to get pregnant and start families. And, and I do it to, to hopefully like catalyze some change on the issue and, and get people like you to really see disability in another light you know, as not just a medical condition, but also part of a lifestyle, part of even a culture and a community and, 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 and a universal experience that can be sad and devastating, but also, you know, generative and, and interesting. So yeah, it's the film is, is wonderful. It's a short documentary. It's 40 minutes. Um, We're premiering next weekend at a film festival called Mountain Film. Uh, and they, their motto is uh, something like showcasing the indomitable, indomitable spirit since 1979. So they like to choose documentaries that, that, that tell these, these great stories of, of overcoming the odds, right? I think um, this would fit. <laughs> yeah, it's fitting. I, I think it's fitting. <laughs> that's awesome. I think it's fitting for sure. So we're very excited about that. And we're trying to get as much publicity and press and visibility as possible. We want to create buzz around the film and um, just get the word out so so that people can can see what life is like as a person with a disability. Um, and, and to see that 
people like me, people with disabilities can have families. We can be caregivers. We can have careers. We can get married. We are, we should be included in society and, and, and treated with equity and respect, frankly. So, yeah. I love that. And, and where can the audience support the documentary? You know, I know unless you're able to attend the film festival, you won't be able to see it quite yet until, you know, we, we make this thing popular enough for, for Netflix to pick it up. But uh, yeah. where, where can the audience kind of uh, support the, the, the documentary? So we have a, a trailer on YouTube. So I think sharing that trailer is one step. It's called Danny's Twins. Um, that's the name of the film. Uh, pretty easy to remember. D-A-N-I, Danny's Twins. And we have social media accounts by the same name, Danny's Twins Film, the word film on the end. For sure. So I think, yeah, sharing on social media by word of mouth, watching the trailer, keeping up with with our updates is, is a wonderful way for people to help us create some buzz. Um, as well as if there are any press opportunities or even um, we're looking for partners to uh, help us drive a, an impact campaign that can be kind of parallel to the film. We were looking to create an educational toolkit um, or, you know, maybe several different iterations of educational toolkits for different populations. Um, maybe people like you who are trying to understand disability in a different way yep. or for, for mothers with disabilities who want to get pregnant or the, the sky's the limit with, with, the, with the impact we can make with this. So it could also be a wonderful opportunity for uh, companies that want to be involved in philanthropy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, again, I think I'm super proud of you and really just commend you for putting yourself out there and being super vulnerable to share your story because it takes people like you to be able to share the experience and what you're going through and gone through and just sort of bring some light to uh, the community in order for the rest of us to kind of understand what's going on, right? And without you creating this documentary and putting yourself out there and allowing yourself to be filmed and to tell your story, like, I don't get a chance to see this, right? We don't get a chance to have this conversation. I just continue to go through life really just not understanding um, much about the community and and sort of just continuously being uncomfortable or, uh, in mm-hmm. this conversation, right? So, I, I again, I thank you so much for coming on, sharing your story, allowing me to, to kind of ask my questions in a really um, open forum with you. Um, I, again, I really, really appreciate that. Thank you so much, first of all, for, for being vulnerable yourself and, and recognizing that there's sort of a gap in, in knowledge and education and being open to listening and having me here. Thank you for so sure. much. Danny, before, you, before we let you go, what's one final thing that you just want the audience to leave with? Um, one final takeaway, anything that you didn't mention, you know, the floor is yours. If you put your mind to it, you, you can... You can really achieve anything. And there, there may be obstacles, there may be systemic obstacles, but really getting other people involved and rallying support and taking advantage of, of, of community is, is such a great way to, to make change and to achieve what you want to achieve. 
Um, so, so I have that message and I also have another message, which is, um, kind of a slogan for disabled pride called, uh, nothing about us without us. And the concept there is, um, that decisions that have to do with people with disabilities should involve people with disabilities. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Danny, again, I really, really, um, I appreciate you being on again. Thanks for, thanks for having this conversation, uh, to you, the listening audience, please go out, check out Danny's twins on YouTube, support the fund, um, support the, the documentary. Let's see if we can, you know, continue this dialogue around the disabled community and how we can be more supportive and inclusive and, and equitable around the way that we sort of structure all of these ideals. So again, Danny, I appreciate, please, uh, we'll, we'll make sure to post um, more information about the, the documentary on the site, on the YouTube channel, uh, on our podcast channel. So um, please click subscribe below to be informed whenever we have new podcasts. But again, Danny, thanks so much. Uh, I appreciate the time. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Style Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their websites and materials are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Opus Private Client, and opinions stated are their own. Yvonne Wansnabi is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS member FINRA SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not registered in any state or with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. Yvonne's California Insurance License Number 0H44206, Compliance Approval 2022-138163, expires May 2024.